This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Episode 131 of Play by Play Cast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download, the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters. Hosted by a play by play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, process, stories, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. You can find us online at PXPCast on the Twitter machine. I'm at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or email me, J-G-O-D-E-T-T, at B-S-U dot E-D-U. And as always, if you get a second, please do throw a star or a few stars uh, and a rating and review our way as well, uh, wherever you're listening, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you might have found uh, this podcast. Guy Haberman is our guest today on episode 131 of the pod. Very well known, particularly if you're on the West Coast. Uh, he has pretty much got you covered, be it with the Pac-12 Network or the Santa Cruz Warriors. Uh, he filled in for a time uh, a couple of years ago with the Oakland Athletics, has filled in for Tim Roy with the Golden State Warriors, uh, well-known in talk show circles around San Francisco. Um, at one point, it was Doug Greenwald's number two with the Fresno Grizzlies. He went to Fresno State. Uh, Guy Haberman has... Touched a lot of different uh, outlets, networks, teams uh, in San Francisco Bay Area and California and the West Coast in general. And he's still fairly young, too, uh, still at this point in his early to mid-30s. So we talked with Guy Haberman a little bit about what he does because... He does so much, uh, why he loves play-by-play the most, and how he attacks this play-by-play craft on episode 131 of PXP Cast with Pac-12 Network and everybody else's Guy Haberman. Right now, a lot of, uh, right right now, right now, Pac-12 Network basketball. So that's mostly the case with some football mixed in and some baseball mixed in there and um, a podcast and a, a radio show. And uh, as much other uh, play-by-play as, as I can do. So that's that's the answer for right now. Although depending on when you ask that question, you might get a different different answer. What is the uh, what's the ten year from now uh, answer to that question? If all goes well, <laughs> you know I don't know. I've um, where I am now ten years ago probably wouldn't have you. I couldn't have seen it from ten years back. So I'm not gonna uh, pretend to know what ten years from now looks like, but. Uh, I love doing play-by-play. That's my favorite thing in the world. And so uh, 10 years from now, I, I, I hope I'm doing that. Um, I would love to be doing that uh, as much as possible. Uh, that's always been what I've enjoyed. You've got your hand in, in so many different pots, though, doing so many different things, like from the podcast to, I mean, on-air hosting and, and, and everything, and, and doing play-by-play with the amount of organizations you've done it with uh, and do it with now. Um, what's it like building that and I mean that's you know Rome wasn't built in a day neither was you know anybody's career but but what's it like trying to to build those outlets and create what has been this portfolio for you 
um, that's that's given you an opportunity to do a ton of different things for a ton of different people? Well, I'd like to tell you it was by some design, but like a lot of things in life, I think one thing just leads to another. One door opens another door. One thing that you think doesn't go anywhere reveals that it goes somewhere. So uh, it's been fun. It's been unique. I think, um, you know, like any broad, unique to me, but the experience is not unique to a broadcaster, even though you might look at it on paper and go, oh, that's weird. And that's weird. And that combination with that thing is odd. But I think anybody listening to this, uh, Joel, and, and you'll know, it's when, when I get asked, you know, how do I get from point A to point B? I don't know too many guys that have gone from point A to point B. Um, Without going to point there's X. A, yeah, there's <laughs> all these letters between A and B that I didn't know about. And, uh, and you know, those are things that usually you look back on, I, I, at least I do, uh, and say I couldn't be how I am or where I am without those things that I thought maybe at one point in time were just, you know, little rest stops. They turned out to be valuable stops along the way. And, uh, and they're fun. And plus, you know, I love talking to other broadcasters about, you know, all the little things that you thought were rest stops along the way that turned out to be, so, you know, an experience that, that left an impression on you. Um, you know, I think everybody listening probably has 10 of those of those. And, and that's, that's part of the, the fun. And I think it's part of what connects uh, so many people in this profession. Why is it that the play-by-play uh, stops on that train have been um, the most entertaining, exciting, valuable, however you want to uh, phrase that uh, to you? Uh, well, because it's pretty baffling if you sit back and think about it, how many levels of all these different sports even exist. Like, who was watching minor league arena football, AF2? <laughs> Uh, well, the answer apparently was not enough people because the league doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. So then you ask yourself, well, if no one was watching it, who was listening to it? <laughs> and the answer to that question is, I don't know. But uh, it was I, I did AF2. One of the things I did early on while I was still in college, there was a team called the Central Valley Coyotes. I went to Fresno State and um, we only broadcasted road games because like baseball owners in the early days of radio, they thought if you put the game on radio, no one will come. And no one did come to the home games. Oh. And I don't think it was because they, <laughs> so maybe the radio would have helped, but uh, it was incredible. The players got paid almost nothing. I got paid almost nothing. Nobody, I don't know who was making money on this thing, but we traveled like single a baseball Usually the team was split up on multiple flights. You know, the trainers drove the vans or the trainer drove a van and the head coach drove another van. And the director of marketing was the color analyst on radio. And uh, he liked sometimes to have a beer or two at halftime. And uh, we played in arenas that weren't all the same size uh, in Amarillo and in up and down the state of California. And I mean, in Bossier, Shreveport, Louisiana, and the hotels were terrible and the meals were fantastically below average. And it was so much fun. Um, you know, 
uh, I broadcasted one game. I, I think it was in Amarillo, maybe in 2005, from what was a civic center that wasn't big enough to have a regulation field in. So it didn't. It had a field that was smaller. And the broadcast booth was just a tough shed with a window sawed out of the side of it and a piece of plywood nailed inside to form a desk. I don't know how they got a phone line in there. It's amazing any of these things were on the air. But um, you think back and think, why did so many people invest so much time and effort into (laughs) making that exist? But there are a million things like that. Uh, And I think that's why you get so many weird broadcast opportunities because I think to the people involved, nobody thinks that anybody wants to come broadcast that. And the answer is they're wrong. Um, So many people want to come broadcast that there might only be one, but that person's going to find you. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's you, you put a sport out there. Somebody's going to try and broadcast it. You put an event out there. One of us is going to is going to come find it. There's no question about that. So where's that where's that passion come from though? Because we've all had I think that same feeling of like we're in Pocatello, Idaho. With all due respect to Pocatello, um, and like we're traveling and solo, and we're a lot of time where there's nobody's around you except for players and the marketing guy that likes to have one at the half and. Um, you're just—it's not like a situation most people would think is ideal. But what is it to you, as play-by-play people? Um, <laughs> can you put a finger on that? That like makes us excited about that, and to you, makes you excited about that. Well, I, I think partly that's sports. Everybody, by and large, played something growing up, and every broadcaster or ninety-nine percent of us are probably failed athletes. Some failed way earlier than others. (laughs) Um, You know, once upon a time, I discovered I wasn't getting a baseball scholarship. Like, oh, well, I guess I should. I've got two or three more years of high school to plan for something else. And so I did. But I think partly that's just sports. Sports are so in you. It's the same reason that somebody who might play 10 years of Major League Baseball decides that they want to keep playing and they go play for three years in Korea or Mexico or why a basketball player who's not an NBA player might go play in the Philippines in some league that we didn't know existed, whose logo is an ice cream cone. I don't know. I, I think it's sports and I think sports get in you. It's why Mac Brown is coaching again. Maybe Um, it's, there's just something about live competition that can't be duplicated. And, you know, I think it's a line that gets used a lot. You couldn't write this script in a movie, but it's true. There's so many things that happen in sports that if you put it in a movie, we'd say, well, that's a little cheesy that no, let's, let's dial it back a little bit. And I think you get addicted to this. First of all, microcosm of life that competition is, but also the complete unknown. I, I remember that one of the first things I learned doing minor league baseball, the Fresno Grizzlies for three years, I was the number two broadcaster with Doug Greenwald, who has seen and forgotten more baseball and understands more about uh, the history of the game and sports in general. If you do a college basketball game, Doug has probably come over and said hello to you. (laughs) 
episode uh, episode three if anybody wants to go back and uh, find yeah. him on here yeah <laughs> everybody yeah so um and and i and i remember talking to him i only did the home games uh and i i remember saying just like that season's kind of long isn't it <laughs> and uh he said well you know the the beauty of baseball is that every day you come to the ballpark and you might see something happen that has never happened before in the history of the game. And of course he's right. And it's, I think that's what gets everybody who does what we do, even when you're dragging and the season's long and the team's bad and the matchup's terrible and the phone lines drop, or I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but um, you go, well, maybe today I'll see something, you know, I have a hard time. You know how Kirk Herbstreet doesn't pick the game that he's doing mm-hmm. on college game day for, I, I guess, to protect the integrity of the broadcast. Sure. I don't like picking games, but it has nothing to do with the integrity of the broadcast. <laughs> I don't care how bad a game is um, on paper. I have to convince myself going into the game that it could be a great game. Yeah, that's And it's not that hard, truthfully, for me to convince myself of that because – that's all I root for is a great game. <laughs> yeah. And if I go in expecting anything else, then I don't think I can do my best. And so I like to think that I can identify with, you know, Nick Saban treating every game the same, treating uh, incarnate word the same way as the iron bowl. Um, because I do think there's something to that. I think there's something real there and I don't want to pick a game just because it doesn't mean I don't have an idea of what I think might happen, but, I have to somewhere in my being believe that anything could happen today because to think otherwise is to be wrong. First off, I like that approach um, just because, I mean, at the end of the day, like the athlete approach is right. You know, we get upset as fans when I always say next game, but like there's a reason it works. Um, So there's a reason it works as as broadcasters in a lot of ways too. Um, You mentioned Fresno though. And and I'm curious because um, you worked in AAA pretty much right out of college-ish, kind of, sort of, um, yeah. close. Um, what was it like to, to make that that jump and, and be in, in, a, in a AAA baseball environment um, at a very young age? And, uh, and, and I guess, well, let's, let's start there, and, and, and we'll, we'll expand from, from there forward. It was incredible. It was awesome. Uh, it was a dream come true. I loved it, you know, and it was AAA baseball, which was great because there were people that everyone had heard of playing in both games. And uh, they were the giants. They, they were then they're now the Astros triple uh, a affiliate. And so Fresno was uh, for people that don't know three and a half hours from San Francisco. So, um, you know, a ton of giants fans and a lot of people, a lot of players that, that people had heard of. And then the giants were cycling through really good players. Like, uh, Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey were coming up uh, in, in those years, 08, 09, 10. And uh, so it was great. It was, it's a big ballpark. It feels like professional baseball. You realize you get to talk to the umpires and you go in the clubhouse. And, and I think part of what's great about baseball is you're in there every single day. And that's wonderful because you become part of what's happening and, you get to know people that if you only saw them once a week, maybe you wouldn't talk to one another or, or trust one another enough uh, to talk. So uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me in that way of, of what uh, 
of, of what an everyday broadcasting experience, what it can become. Um, but it was also great because it let me, you know, every day I'm on and, and it let me experiment. And I didn't quite realize then, I do looking back, what um, what it must have been like for my broadcast partner, right? I think a lot of times in the minor leagues, two people just get put together. Mm. Well, D- Doug had been working by himself for a long time. And uh, here came somebody out of college going, I'm here for my three innings. So get ready. I've got some, I've got some great calls I've been cooking up. And of course I didn't, (laughs) I sucked. And so I was very lucky that I had somebody a, that was kind and willing to share advice and be an example. But what was the best part about that experience, I think was probably just seeing how hard Doug worked at making sure things were correct and making sure details that he had details. Cause I think I, I always thought in the context, not always, but I thought uh, early on when I was doing games in college, you know, you, I'm doing college softball or I, I know the names of all the people that are listening. Like I, you asked me who's listening. I could basically figure out which big super fans of the softball team. And, you know, you know, yeah. so I, you know, you get to a point, you do it for a few years, you know, how much you need for a broadcast. Like, yeah, I, I just need a couple things and that'll be enough. But it's but that's not it might be enough, but that's not good enough, because if you really were going to tell the story that you told on the air, someone might ask you a follow up and you have to think about what might that follow up be and what might be the next detail that I need. And Doug always had the next detail to the follow up. If he had to really tell the story that he crafted on the air, he would have way more details than he actually needed to get through that story on the air. And. Um, that was a great lesson because I think one thing that's kept coming back to me so far, at least when I've been around the people that I think are really good, uh, one thing that I think has tied in every one of those people is that details really matter. Details really matter. And they can separate a story that you're that you're telling or a picture that you're painting, whether that's specifically a play by play thing or you're just talking about a person. And usually you get the best stuff in the details when you dig and you dig and you dig. I think anybody that's been up till 2 a.m. prepping for a game knows that feeling of you might be tired, but then you've dug so deep that you found some connection that connects A to W and you go, yes, that is going to be my hook. And if you're so proud of it and it feels so good and nobody knows what you, you know, the work you put in to find that, but it's very rewarding. And, and, and that was that was one of the great lessons I think I, I learned early on. And I think every, you know, it, it's important to know that lesson early on because it's, it's going to be a part of um, success. If you find it, what goes into finding that for you? Uh, what's important for you? Are, are there things that you like in the nitty gritty and in the details that you think round out storytelling and information that, that maybe most broadcasters overlook? Oh, I don't think I, it's a good question. I don't know that anybody overlooks anything. I mean, or what I guess I only, do you think makes what, what's the key to, to making a story better? What's the details that so are most important? The, the details I think that are the most important are the details that you hear from another person that you talk to. Those details are always better than the ones you read. Mm. Um, if it's possible. Now, some of, some of history is, is it's only there to be found in print. 
But the best details are the ones you get after you did all the research and you take it with you and you go down to the clubhouse or you go up to the, you know, to shoot around or you go to the coaches meetings the day before a football game and you've done the research and you know that the manager for the Las Vegas 51s faced Nolan Ryan seven times in his career. Uh, and you know that he hit a home run one of those times. I've, that's totally farcical. I've made that up. That that person might not <laughs> exist. And then that's when you get the best story, right? The best story is not, here's Jim Smith, skipper of the 51s, once hit a home run off Nolan Ryan. Bet a lot of you people didn't dig into baseball reference deep enough to find that. Well, I did. Well, that imp- that shouldn't impress anybody. That's a great little nugget that could be in the game notes. But when you go talk to him about it, mm-hmm. that's the story. That's the best story. When you find out from his mouth what it was like, that's the key, I think, to a great story is hearing a person involved, taking the time to have the person who lived it tell you what happened. And then sometimes you need the details because sometimes they might say, you know, uh, I, it was a, it was an O2 pitch and it was really a two O pitch, but that's okay. Um, those details are okay to allow the storyteller to tell, but I think that's the most important part of the story is getting it from the person who lived it. That's where the color comes in. And I think spending five minutes talking to somebody about one of their experiences gets you so much more than reading 30 minutes or an hour about that person's experience and not talking to anybody about it. You obviously got your start big time in radio in uh, Arena 2 and then with uh, Fresno. <laughs> well, I, easy on big time there. But. Well, I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but but how did you how did you make that transition? Um, where did television uh, initially come into the picture for you? And uh, describe that transition for me a little bit well, in terms of what was different and what what took adapting to, and not just in like the, you know, obviously you talk less, but you know, what was difficult? Yeah. What was, what did you, what did it take to be good at a new medium that comes along as you go through your career? Yeah. It's harder than you would think, right? Anyone who's done it, and I, you've done it. Everybody, I think listening probably has been through that one direction or the other mm-hmm. realizes it's tougher than you think um, to talk less. And I had done, when I was in high school, we had a, a local cable access TV channel in Davis, California. And uh, they had football games with no audio and I on tape delay, like they would, you know, take the high school football game from Friday and play it on Wednesday. One of the dads would tape it. And I called the TV station and said, could I talk over the games? And they said, well, actually, yes, we just got a new machine. We have three cameras now. <laughs> so we would love to have you. So great. Um, but but even though that that was the first thing I ever did was that. Uh, but I had been listening to John Miller on radio since I was a little kid. And so radio was deep, deep within like radio was deep within me, even though the first thing I did was with television. And I'm not going to pretend in the ans- in this answer, Joel, that I have the TV part of it figured out. But I think the thing that it took was just feel it took reps. It took understanding and watching and understanding and watching that. You know, in radio, you get to control the entire narrative and it's up to you to do it right. But nobody will know if you don't. 
And so maybe initially when you're new and you're nervous, there is some comfort and some freedom in it's okay. No one will know immediately if I screw this up. Mm. Now, in the end, you're doing games that if you're doing any games that people are actually listening to, <laughs> you should be a little more attentive to what's actually happening. <laughs> but early on, I think it's a great place in radio because you don't maybe kill yourself as much over mistakes because you know no one probably no one else saw it. Television's obviously not that case. A because people see it, and B because you have a lot more. You have many more teammates that are there. Your analyst knows, your producer knows, the camera people, everybody that you're working with knows, and so you can put pressure on yourself because of that. And so I think for me, one of the 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 early breakthroughs I had was understanding, you know, it's okay if I go in with a little bit of a template here, and over time you do it more and more, and you can get rid of your template. But just to know early in the game, maybe the first thing I should say about the offense when they come onto the field on TV, maybe I should just have an idea of what I want to say. And then when the other offense comes onto the field, maybe I should have a little note. What's the thing I want to communicate when the offense comes onto the field? Um, on You know, we're showing the quarterback and here he comes and maybe I should have a note of what I want to say when that guy runs onto the field. It's such a little thing and I don't know if that works for everybody or if anyone else has ever needed that. But that helped me was starting the game was really hard for me on TV. The first two minutes was really difficult because there's a lot of traffic. And I always loved the painting of the picture on radio and you weren't doing that. And so I found that it was tough for me to get out of the blocks. Um, basketball, I found, was really tough for me to get out of the blocks because you uh, here's the things I want to say about this team. And then the ball's tipped and it goes boom, boom, boom. And the analyst wants to set something up. You're like, oh, my God. Where am I? How much play-by-play should I be doing? Should I stop on the play-by-play? And and once early on, I kind of figured out, okay, here's what works for me. What works for me is to say something about whoever won the opening tip, just to have whatever I should say right there ready. And then I'll kind of let the analysts go from there, and, and then I'll get in the flow. Um, that's obviously not a blueprint for everybody, but that was the hardest part for me in TV was starting the game. Not so much the how much play-by-play to do, although that's – something else that you feel your way through but that was the difficult part for me on tv was just with just taking the first step and and not needing 10 minutes to get into the flow of a game on television how much play-by-play do you do how much well, calling of the play so to speak oh, oh uh, i'm just gonna say obviously you do a lot of play-by-play <laughs> yeah <laughs> how, how much um, of the play do you call on television you know probably more now than I did initially. I think initially I probably pulled it back way too far. Um, I think there, you know, there's just an understanding depending on what you're doing. If I'm doing college basketball and I know that um, one of the teams probably isn't seen a lot, then I might use more names on that team, right? If you do in the NBA, you might not need to always say the fans might be able to recognize pretty easily on television just by the players bodies who's who but maybe in a particular college game i might i feel like maybe i need to do a little more of that um because maybe the fans aren't quite clear who's who or they haven't seen this team before um and so maybe i'll do a little more in that game i might say occasionally you know uh here's jim smith number he's wearing number seven at the bottom just checked in he's their best player off the bench and i might give his number and say that's that's who he is. He's right there. Whereas in the NBA, you wouldn't 
really need to do that. Right. So I I do. So that's one thing I'm conscious of. Um, And and then I think what constitutes play by play has probably changed for me. Uh, I'm you know, I'm not going to say right hand dribble around, you know, over to the right wing, but I might just be saying something else, feeling his way against the zone, you know, something like that. So it's a different kind of play by play um, than the words I would be using if I were on radio, but that's kind of where I've settled in, at least at this point is, is using those captions maybe more for context, maybe for ways to, you know, it might be based off something the analyst has said. Um, uh, So it's talking, but it's, it's talking not quite so descriptively about the action but more descriptive about the context of why, you know, why, why in relation to what the analyst is talking about should or needs to be happening, why that thing matters. And then there is just some fun fundamental rises up in a big moment, you know? So I love that stuff too, because that is the most play by play you get to do is when something's about to happen. um, And then you try to put a caption on it, but it's evolved for me to a point where, you know, you get more and more comfortable. I, I don't think there is a way to, I asked, I've asked that of many people and I've been asked it and I don't have an answer other than, you know, it takes, it takes time for you to feel it and watch yourself and you cringe so, through so much of your own stuff and you, and you love, you love a lot of your stuff. Well, we'll watch that over and over again too. That That's good. Um, and that's how you get a feel. Talk to me about your analyst a little bit. Um, and your, I don't know, what's your best practices of interacting with them, setting them up, um, how do you go about best utilizing them and, and letting them shine? Well, uh, the first thing to know is that they are way more accomplished than you or, or me. You know, the idea that I'm sitting next to a Hall of Fame coach and I should have an opinion on the play is, uh, is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, right. Or, or somebody that played that I should have an opinion. Now, it's, we all have opinions. We do but it's about understanding why they're there and why you're there. Yeah. And I think on television, it's the analyst show and it's the producer's show in terms of the pictures. And it's so much fun when it all goes together and it's your job to make sure that it all fits together. Um, on radio, it's more of a play by play sport or play by play event. And that's, that's fun too. It's more your responsibility. But in, in either way, it's your job to make sure that the analyst is able to say what it is they want to communicate because they're about to say something important, particularly on television. They're about to predict the play. They're about uh, to tell you why something happened. And so I think leaving them time is, is critical. And I think knowing about them is critical. Not that I want to rattle off everybody's accomplishments, but just to understand where the reference points come from particularly if I'm working with someone who is from a a different generation from me, then I need to understand who they played against or who they coached against and be ready for those, what those references might be. Now, sometimes that's impossible. You can't cover all of history and be ready for that. But I do think it's important to find connections between what that person's reference points may be and the reference points that I know I'm comfortable with. My pop culture references are going to be different. My musical references might be different. So I need to understand. And so for me, I do that if I'm working with somebody for the first time, 
by trying to watch something they've done just so I understand where they're coming from. Um, because the back and forth, there's nothing more painful than being a part of a disjointed broadcast where they make a reference and I don't know how to follow it up or I say something and it doesn't land with them. Uh, I think we've probably all been there. And, and the only thing you can, the only thing I've found that I can do to help that is to a prepare for who that person is, not just what they might say and b talk to them, just talk. And then you kind of figure out as you're hanging out, okay, here's where we have some common ground. Here's what this person likes that I don't know a lot about that I need to delve into a little. And uh, that, that for me has always been the most basic. Talk to them about the league. Talk to them about the team. Talk just, what do you think of this team? Hey, what do you think of this team? What do you think is going to happen today? I love starting an analyst with that. What do you think is going to happen today? And then that sets the, that's like asking, you know, you do a coach's call and you say, what are the three keys of the game, coach? And then you use those three things. (laughs) To me, it's no different. If you're working with an analyst, ask them, what do you think is going to happen today? What's going to happen in this game in your mind? Oh, I think this is great. So now I know what you're looking for a little bit. What are you watching for when so-and-so's on offense, so-and-so's on defense? Great. Uh, Now I know what you're looking for. And now that's what I'm looking for because I need you to teach me about this game. That's why you're here. You're here to teach all of us about this game. So I think just some of those most basic things um, are are really helpful. How far down a rabbit hole will you stray and I, I just mean that in terms of like how far off a game will you get in terms of exploring something they just said or picking up on a point that they just said and and really directing conversation um, back toward them even while a game is going on and not to the point where it's like you know don't let this game get in the way of what you're saying but but finding that right balance between the two that's that can be tough there there have been times uh, where you feel like well I've certainly done it where I had a a game recently where we the game wasn't very good and we went down a rabbit hole and it was fun but after the game i the producer called me and i said was that too self-indulgent it felt a little self-indulgent not that we were saying i or me but it just felt a little self-indulgent and um and i went back and watched it and it didn't i didn't think it came off that way but i'm always aware of that of being a little of, 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 of making it about you uh, as the play-by-play. I don't want to do that. Now I'm okay making it about the analyst or their experiences or something funny or a story they've got. But if I'm going to make it about me, it better be really good. Like if I'm going to tell the story, it better be fantastic. And I, especially on television, on radio where you're, you know, if you're doing baseball and you're doing it for 162 and you get to know the audience, that's, that's a different story. Um, or if you're a local broadcast, but if you're, if you're doing a more down the middle television broadcast, but to answer your question, I think that's, you know, people are watching the game while they're on Twitter. People are watching the game and they're hanging out. I think you have to do that stuff. And some of that might just be experimenting, um, with a direction of a conversation. And I think as long as it can still be a part of the game, if you can weave that, then you can go pretty far with it. It can be something that comes back during a broadcast later. It can be something that maybe lasts through a few plays and you hope that nobody has the dunk that's going to end up on sports center while you're doing it. But because that always feels awful, but um, I think you can go to a lot of places. I think the viewer, if you're able to tie it all together, will allow for it. I think they'll enjoy it. I don't think it's any different than, 
you know, sitting on the couch when you're watching a game with friends, you're not talking about X and O's the whole game. Like we're not sitting there, you and I, Joel, watching the tournament game going, uh, what are they going to do on this possession against the zone? What are they going to do against this possession? Well, yeah. they're, you know, now there are moments for that 30 seconds left, one possession or adjustments or whatever, but no one sits there for two hours and does that, especially now. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's probably what John Madden understood about people was that it's not just about what the guard is doing on this play. Sometimes it is make it simple for people, but it's not always about that. And I, you know, one of my favorite broadcasters on earth in the history of time is David Letterman. And I think the lesson that everybody can learn from David Letterman is that, and he's got so much great stuff on YouTube. And when I was doing night radio, uh, I'd get home at midnight and I'd be wired and, or maybe it'd be a post game show. And I couldn't go to sleep. And I would, I watch a lot of David Letterman YouTubes. And the one thing that Letterman should teach everybody is that you can, you could probably try anything once, no matter how stupid it is. You can experiment a little bit. And it's, if it fails, then it fails and you learn that lesson. But some of the stuff he did was stupid, was funny because you thought, now he's David Letterman. So don't get me wrong. We don't all get to be David Letterman just by doing something stupid. But I think the lesson was, God, he, he, he did this show as if, if you just watched the show and didn't talk to anybody else about that show, you would think nobody else watched that show just from the way he talked about the show. Well, no one's watching fall. So we're going to try this stupid thing. But of course, everybody was watching and they thought it was funny. And I think that that experimentation is important. That's why, you know, it's, it's, when you're doing things that you think no one's listening to, it's important to remember that that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to try stuff that if it fails, will not stay with you forever. That's okay too. You don't want to be doing the world series for your first broadcast ever because you're not ready. You're not. Well, maybe some, maybe Joe Buck was, but maybe, maybe Costas was, but by and large, you need some time to experiment and everybody has done that. And, And I think that's where you get your best lessons is, learning what works for you and what fails and how far you can go with something weird. Cause sometimes that's where the fun stuff is. What are uh, some things that you've done that failed and or worked? Ooh, uh, that's a very good <laughs> question. What are some things I've done uh, that failed or work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or work. That's less fun. Um, you know, I think, uh, I'll try and think of a specific example since I spent so much time putting that up on a pedestal. I think a lot of things, a lot of things I did, um, like when I was doing uh, like radio shows at night. So this isn't play by play necessarily, but you know, you just do stupid segments. Sure. Uh, that that are just, um, I don't know. I try to think. We did a segment one time, uh, and a lot of it's borrowed. You know. Um, there used to be a, a radio show host who has since passed named Papa Joe Chevalier that around the holidays, I remember as a kid, would people would just call in and sing holiday songs with sports lyrics. Uh, and so I remember one time I was doing a radio show and we were giving away a pair of tickets and we did the same thing. It, 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 you wouldn't do it twice, but it worked and it was funny. And part of why it was funny was it was stupid. And that's not a play-by-play example, but I do think, uh, especially on television, so much of play-by-play isn't actually play-by-play. And so a lot of what's helped me, I think, being comfortable on TV in a bad game is understanding how to try and make that fun, too, 
and the ways to talk about that that can be fun too. And it applies on radio as well, although you do have to keep weave a little more of the play-by-play, obviously. Um, but that's where some of that experience came from. Uh, I think different, especially when early on, when you're trying to find exactly your voice, how do I sound? What what is me? How do I make sure I'm not doing an impression per se or a parody? It's probably the better word of somebody, but I'm just being me. You try different rhythms and, you know, you just it's all sort of the, the experiment of wading through, I think, um, uh, all the stuff you've heard and trying to get to the core of what is me and what is just what I've heard for years and years and years. So, uh, you know, I would say that's that's kind of where that comes in. It's not one thing in particular, but it's just all right, I, I listened to that and I realized that I was kind of doing a Kevin Harlan. That's not okay. So I should change that and let's try let's try to focus on that for the next game, on that call. I shouldn't use that thing that Kevin says in the same way that he says it. That's that. That's, that's not me. So it's more that. It's not anything dramatic, but it's more just that kind of thing. And being okay, sounding like something you haven't heard, um, trying a rhythm of something in a way that you haven't heard or trying to work a word in. And oh, you know what? Here's one. Now, this is this was last year. So it's I wish I could tell you I, I didn't still feel silly about this. But uh, I, I don't know what made me do it, but I was doing an Oregon basketball game and Victor Bailey Jr. went up for a big dunk. And we had just been doing something about Oregon being track town USA. And the guy dunks the ball, Victor Bailey dunks the ball. And I said, something along the lines of, you know, welcome to flush town USA. It is, it, it, it makes me cringe. It makes me cringe. Just saying it to you, just saying it to you makes me cringe. Uh, but whatever. Okay. You know, so what, who cares? Uh, and I, I said it and I was like, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> um, but so what, you know, the, 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 the most, I don't know if I learned a lesson from this, but the worst one was many years ago, I was doing a Nevada Fresno state basketball game. And I was doing the game with uh, a guy named Dave Bullwinkle, who's a fantastic guy. And is a scout for the bulls. And uh, Tyler Johnson played for Fresno state plays for plays in the NBA now. And he we're sitting where, you know, you're at the table, you're at mid court and, there's a play and they go down to the floor for the ball and the ball's loose and Johnson's shoe comes off and it's sitting right there at midcourt and the play continues and he's playing in a sock and somebody scores and the play ends and they call timeout so he can put his shoe back on. And as he's walking over to put his shoe back on, I look down at the shoe and for whatever reason, I thought I'm going to uh, describe this. First of all, I don't even know why I felt the need to, just, we're on television. I don't need to tell anybody he's putting his shoe back on. They're going to see it. And I look down at the shoe and I'm in a, apparently a creative mode and I see the rubber sole of the shoe and I say, Johnson puts his rubber back on <laughs> his shoe, his foot. And then all I hear in my ear is the producer mic open and just laughter, just a truck full of laughter. And I look over 
at my analyst and he is just looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and that's all I had was his shoe, his foot. Um, you can try to overdo it. And I was trying to overdo it. And I don't know why I was trying to overdo it, but I was. And, uh, and I learned that lesson. Don't overdo it. That's a, I, yeah. that's a good one. Um, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for, I guess being vulnerable that way. Uh, <laughs> um, what's different between and I obviously like doing Pac-12 games is is a, that's a big league job you would say. Um, but what's different between that and like when you're doing when you filled in for Tim Roy or when you filled in with the A's? Um, what's different? What's cool? What's unique about doing major league broadcasting? Oh, the travel is amazing. Private planes? <laughs> are you kidding? Like, oh, it's incredible. The Warriors, when I showed up the first year to do to fill in for Tim, was a road game, a road trip to 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 Brooklyn, um, Detroit, and Cleveland. And we show up in the private air terminal, and they're making omelets. And then you get on the plane, and they've got you know a menu, and they don't just have peanut butter cups; they have Justin's organic peanut butter cups from Whole Foods. And well, less see, sugar, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, we got to be healthy. Um, so first of all, it just feels big league, right? It's you do baseball and they just pass around an envelope and here's your envelope of cash for the day. What? A hundred bucks for the day? Do I have to report this? <laughs> what am I going to do with this hundred bucks for the day? How am I possibly going to spend this money? Uh but I, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, you spend it by the way, you, oh, yeah. you end up eating with other people who spend it and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have two steaks. Uh, I, I think there's a few things. I think one thing is it just, it, it's, it feels good to do the thing you've dreamed of doing and to come out of it and feel like, okay, I did, I, I, I feel like I can do that. I feel like, first of all, I appreciate that somebody and somebody's gave me the chance. And then secondly, you feel lucky. I certainly did that. I felt ready for it. But even then I remember the first, the first warrior game I did was fine, but the second game was much better. And, you know, I think part of the fun was knowing that you had a, that I, at least for me was knowing I had another game tomorrow. So I, like when you know that, I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off. I think one of the coolest things about it is one of the most basic things about it. And it's one of the most basic things, particularly if you're doing games that you, you're doing teams that you don't advance watch or something, at, at, you know, when you're in the minors, or especially if you're doing like college, like lower level. I remember basketball where there was no tape, like I couldn't get tape of somebody ahead of time. Um, the most basic thing about pro sports is you recognize the players while they're playing. Like you don't have to look down at your board. You just know who it is. Yeah. You know, it's something you don't think about. You're like the 35 is Kevin Durant. All right. I don't even need his number. I recognize. it. So it's, that was one of the little things that I remember thinking was, was great. Um, but you know, it's, it's the basic stuff. It, going to Fenway park was blew my mind. Getting the call games at Fenway park blew my mind. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I, I talk to people that, they go to Fenway Park five times a year and 
you still they say they might say, well, you know, Fenway could use a facelift, but it's still pretty cool. Like it's I don't know if that part of it stops being cool. I can't speak to that because I don't do it every day, but I'd like to think it doesn't. Maybe on some level it gets a little more normal, but I don't know if it stops being cool. The stuff I do hasn't stopped being cool. You know, just walking into an empty arena for a shoot around doesn't stop being cool. So um, I think for anybody who hasn't done it, but is working towards doing it, I think the thing to remember when you get that opportunity is the reason you've done a lot of the stuff that you felt like nobody saw or nobody heard is so that you'd be ready for the moment when you're doing the thing that people are going to see and people are going to hear. And all of that is valuable. Every single rep is really valuable. And it's not just the rep, it's the knowledge that you took the rep seriously. It's just feeling prepared is almost sometimes more important than actually being prepared. There's something to be said for, I used to make these football boards, Joel, that were stupid. Like the mm-hmm. font was six and I couldn't read it if I had to in a pinch, yep. but it was, but I, but I thought I was ready, but I didn't go back and read it like before the game. That was dumb. Why wouldn't I go back and read it right before the game? And the game would happen. And then the game would end. I'd be like, Oh man, that would have been the perfect time to say this stat that I had. Why didn't I do it? Well, because it wasn't easy for me to access and I hadn't learned how to really use that information, how to really prepare just because I spent a week. How'd you, uh, how'd you do that? What's the, what's the, what's the secret um, toward, toward narrowing down your, your size six font into something usable? Cause I think we're all in that spot sometimes. Yeah. You go, Gosh, where is this thing that I know I looked up, but I don't know where I put it. <laughs> right. So uh, one basic thing I made the board bigger. For me, that's what I needed to do. Fair okay. Um, secondly, was the more experience I got, the more I understood what what I might need. But I'm not there. There are still a, there are so many things on the board that I don't need in the end. Some of them, though, I put there because they just make me feel better knowing it's there. The most important thing for me was I spent all week, however many countless hours, for example, just using football, making this board. And then I would put it on, I would put it on my styrofoam board and I'd go, God, this belongs in a Smithsonian. This is beautiful. <laughs> I really did it this time. And then I'd get to the game and I'd call the game. And I, after a while, it took me a year or two to realize I didn't go over the board. Like before the game, I didn't review the board. I thought that because I had put it there, that was good enough. Well, for some people that is good enough, but I had to understand the way my mind works. I don't know if you've ever seen like Ted Robinson doesn't, if you listen to Ted talk, you would think Ted had 10 Oxford dictionaries worth of information on his board. Well, Ted has nothing on his board. Not that he hasn't prepped. He has prepped, but it's in his head. That's how his mind works. Ted's much sharper Ted's smarter than me. I had to learn that that doesn't work for me. I have to review my board. That's okay. And I've got a highlight. Okay. I've got five lines on this guy. Well, I need to highlight the three most important things. I've got 15 lines on this player. I've got to highlight the three or four most important things. And, you know, you got a system, different colors. That's what's really important here. What do I need to say the first time this player has the ball? What can wait? What is a fun story for later? And it just was about studying my own board so I knew where stuff was when I needed it. Study the work you've done. Just because you've done the work doesn't mean it's done. That's what I needed. 
that's for me. Other people might not need it, but for me, I needed to figure out that just because I put it all on the board didn't mean I was ready to use the board. I still then had to understand where things were. And uh, once I learned that, that, that really helped me uh, just flow better through a broadcast. What's the one thing you put on the board uh, that you don't usually need, but you put there anyway, because it makes you feel good. Uh, BU. No, that's, that's uh, the coach of the, Bears puts that on his call sheet, uh, which I think is funny, right? He puts BU in big letters, Matt Nagy on his call sheet. Um, and that helps him. You know, one thing I put on my board for about a year and a half, I don't need more just because it's ingrained in my head. And I actually do use this. So this is not answering your question. I will try to answer your question. Uh, was the phrase pace, P-A-C-E. I was doing a football game last year in Salt Lake City. And my analyst, Yogi Roth, was talking about the quarterback who had just thrown an interception. And he said, you know, I got this thing. I want to see the way a quarterback responds after a critical error pace plays after critical error. Hmm. And I thought, God, that's great. Like that's, I need to remember that when I screw up an open and then still have the rest of the game to do, you're going to make mistakes. So be ready. Just know you're going to make a mistake in all likelihood. You're going to screw something up. How do you continue on through that? So that was something I put on my board for the rest of that season. And then it's just something I think of every week now, and I don't necessarily need it on there, but I think it's a good reminder. Um, you know, I hardly ever use heights and weights, and I will almost <laughs> never use a high school yep. unless the high school matters, right? If the high school was the same high school as somebody else or somebody in uh, the faculty cured a major disease and they went to the same high school. Hometown so I put is the same way, like unless, unless it matters. I, yeah. yeah, unless it matters, I really – now, sometimes it's nice to know if somebody's where somebody's from, but on first reference, I don't want Jim Smith from – that's just me, Jim Smith from, you know, uh, Bismarck, and then that's all I got. Like I better have a reason that I'm saying Bismarck. <laughs> Maybe nobody comes from Bismarck. Maybe all their players come from Bismarck. Um, for me, there's got to be a reason for that. But I still put it on there because without it on there, then I can't make the connections between, oh, wait a second, wasn't there a guy on the other team? Oh, yeah, there he is. They both went to the same. So I I still do that um, because it's happened enough times. You know, early on, I remember thinking, why am I going through every defensive player's bio to find how many sacks, how many interceptions, and how many touchdowns they have? Well, the one time that a guy has a pick six and you know it's his first career touchdown, that's really it. All that work is worth it. So I put a lot of that stuff on there. A lot of the time it doesn't get used, but occasionally, every once it gets used enough that it keeps me uh, coming back to it. How much do you go back and watch your own stuff? Um, and when you do it, what are you looking for? A lot is the answer. Um, it may not be I'll, I'll know over the course of a game oh i should i should go back and you know i do the little referee signal in my head go back and review that at the next media timeout <laughs> um or think about that some more uh so i do it quite a bit it may not be always a full game but i will just try and focus on something and flesh it out and um the way i do it is i just listen to it over and over i wear it 
out. Now that's not wearing out 30 minutes. That might just be, it might be a 30 second something mm. that I need to, that I want to hear and feel that I, was that the best way to do that? What's a variation of that I can use? Um, and I will wear it out until it just, just seeps in my brain. And then usually in some, some layer, you know, you, you, you find something, um, and you hear something you say, and I, I need to start eradicating that, or, you know, that, that was actually kind of good. And, you know, maybe I'll use that again. Um, so I, I do it a lot. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's true. The greats weren't great because at birth they could paint. The, the greats were great because they paint a lot. And um, that's, it's, it's, you know, I think Malcolm Gladwell made everyone really aware of 10,000 hours. Uh, so I've done that. I've added up my hours before and been like, am I to 10,000 yet? <laughs> no. Okay. What did Macklemore say? But, um, it's, it's a lot. The answer is a lot. And it's, I, I, I really value true real feedback from people. You can't ask, you know, not everyone's going to give you real feedback. There's, there's nothing worse than a game where after the game, they're like, all right, great, great call. Great job, everybody. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. Was it, it was okay. <laughs> Like I tend to hate them, but let's go back and review. Should I hate it as much as I did? Uh, and I've stopped doing that, hating everything because it's a waste of time, but, um, an energy, but, uh, you know, I, I do think in the end, you know, yourself better than anybody. You've heard more of your own tape than anybody, you know, more of your mistakes than anybody, you know, your good calls better than anybody, you know, when you were faking it you know when you nailed it you know better than anybody so if if you're not going to be your greatest critic then nobody is um you'll get you know when you get feedback that's fair that's not fair mm. that makes me defensive so maybe it is right but <laughs> you know i i i think you gotta i think you you, you gotta do it because um you really can be your greatest critic and listen to other people and and see what other people do that that works. And again, it's not about parroting, uh, parroting them, but it's just about, you know, opening your mind a little, there are other ways to do things. And, um, you know, it's no different than why every, at least I do love seeing other people's boards like, Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I don't, I don't, I could tell you how many iterations I've had and it's none of it is mine in the end. Like it's been a totally rebuilt board by the end, but, um, it's about figuring out what works for you and, I think the more you watch, the more you listen to yourself, the more you understand, like I said before, about just understanding how does my brain work and how do I need to help my brain? That was a big part of it. It's just understanding, okay, as I watch this game back, the obvious thing to say there was X, Y, Z. Why didn't I say it? Okay, let's think about what was going on in that moment. Was I distracted by the producer? Was I trying to look for a stat? What was going on? How does my brain work? And how do I help my brain? Because that's, I spent a lot of time before a game just trying to help my own brain, like get out of its way, right? Because that's what I think every, every, anybody in anything that's moving quickly, you just want to be in that, in that flow state. And so I think it's understanding yourself and understanding how you work and how your mind works is, is an important piece to that puzzle. Guy, yeah, people want to find you uh, on TV or social media or anywhere. Uh, how do they track you down? Uh, how did you track me down? 
Uh, did I give you my information or did you social did media? Did I give you, I think, uh, did Joel, did I share this phone number with you? How did you get this number? Well, I, you, I found it on the yellow pages. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, you're yeah, an LLC, so, so it's just, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Damn it. Uh, you can, my, my DMS are open, Joel. So, uh, you can slide in anytime. I, I hear that's what the kids do. do yeah. Yep. I'm happy. I'm happy to, uh, to interact that way. My email is on my, uh, Twitter page. My, uh, my Twitter is just my name at Guy Haberman. And, uh, yeah, any, I'm, I'm happy to give people feedback. I think every person that, um, I can't, the amount of people, I do want to say this because there's so many, you've talked to so many fantastic broadcasters and some of them who I've been lucky enough to know or talk to a little bit. And the amount of, the number of people who help you, um, at any point in time is huge. So, uh, I'm happy to, to give any feedback to anybody who, who wants it. So I'd encourage people to reach out to me because I'm happy to do that. And, and I would just say this, uh, one of the great lessons I learned, Joel, uh, came about three years ago. When, when I realized that every game I was trying to do was I was determined. I don't know about you. Do you golf? Um, yes, not well, but yes. Yeah. What's your, what's your, what's your low score? Um, as in like lowest number or like, uh, best, <laughs> best. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I shot a 90 once on the, uh, on, okay. the, on the front nine. Um, That's better than, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I take it back. Never mind. Um, I've never broken 90. Never, ever, ever, ever. And I don't golf a ton. I go through spurts, but I really enjoy it. And I hit some great shots. Those are the shots that keep you coming back. Um, but every time I golf, and I know the next time, I'm not saying this in a very self-aware way. I know the next time I golf is the time I shoot 89. I'm convinced of it. And I've been convinced of it for a really long time. But this time is the time. And I had that approach with games a lot. Where this is the game that I'm going to call that's going to be the perfect broadcast. Mm. And that, I, that was, that wasn't helpful. Um, not that I want to make mistakes or that mistakes are acceptable, but they are a function of being human. And it doesn't mean you ever stop trying to do the perfect broadcast, but I stopped making it my priority. I think I'd read Joe Madden said, you know, Joe Madden does such a great job with all this stuff. The old try not to suck thing. But he said, be present, be present, not perfect. And uh, it really resonated with me because I spent so much time trying to be perfect. And then if the game, if I wasn't perfect, well, well, now what? This this sucks. Uh, but this goes back to being your best critic. You're going to recognize way more than anybody else. So study yourself and be an expert on yourself and understand what works for you and what doesn't. Um, and definitely seek feedback. Seek honest feedback. Be open to honest feedback. That's the best. Be make people feel okay that they can give you some real constructive criticism and take it uh, with a grain of salt, but take it. You know, you don't have to accept everything, but but hear it and take it. So anyway, that's that wasn't what you asked, but I think that's that's something that's been important to me. All right, that's Guy Haberman joining us here on episode one thirty one of PXP Cast. What matters to my brain? What helps my brain? Take that away from the end of this podcast. I think it's really interesting um, because, number one, it builds upon what Jason Benetti talked about last week 
in terms of don't just sit and like watch a whole game back and be like, well, I watched my whole thing. I'm great. I've improved. Um, watch five seconds. Watch 10 seconds. That's too extreme, but you know what I mean. Watch a minute. What did I do in this minute? What did I do on this play? Um, and see where that takes you from an improvement standpoint. And then on the prep side of things too, like what does my brain need? Um, we can all be more efficient in our prep and actually learning our prep as opposed to just putting it on the board in front of us, but more so knowing what's on the board in front of us or just knowing the things we need to know instead of all of the stuff that's on the board that sometimes we don't need to know. Sometimes good to have, like you talked about with, hey, the first time the guy has a pick six, it's good to know it's his first interception. Um, but did you need to know that he had two picks as a junior in high school? Um, so sometimes it's information like that that can bog us down. Uh, many thanks to Guy for joining us on this week's edition of the pod. And as you said, you can find him on social media uh, at Guy Haberman, G-U-Y-H-A-B. E-R-M-A-N, Guy Haberman from Pac-12 Network, and, uh, and and he mentioned at the top, like everywhere else, uh, that he uh, that he works and that he uh, helps produce content. So again, many thanks to him. Until next week, my name is Joel Gadet. This is PXPCast. Again, rate and review if you get the opportunity. We'll talk to you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Hit it, Marshmallow, because we are out. That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.